Today we're going to be continuing a series, Long Awaited One. Oh, come, oh, come, Long Awaited One. And Pastor Garrison has taken us in a couple of the installments in this series, starting in Genesis 3 and moving to Genesis 12. And we're going to work our way through the Old Testament. We're going to find our, ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn now to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we will work our way through verses 1 through 18. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 18. As you're making your way there, I wanted to share a quick story that perhaps will set this passage up and get our minds moving towards the, the centerpiece of, of this message. And it happened, I think it was in 19, 1988, possibly 89, when all of you were alive and bustling. I was out in Portland, Oregon, doing some formal studies in the Bible, and it was with um, a lot of students and a lot of professors and just thoroughly enjoying um, a richness in Portland, Oregon. And one of my dear professors, uh, his name is Carl Laney, Dr. Laney, was organizing a group to go to the promised land, the holy land, Israel. And so, um, by God's grace, I was able to go with uh, 14 others. And Carl and 14 others boarded this uh, plane and flew on out uh, to Israel. And you can only imagine how I, I felt. We landed in Amman, Jordan, and spent the night there. And then worked our way westward over the Jordan River. I'm going to just say through the Jordan River and on into the Promised Land. And we spent about 10 days there. And I met up with a, a man I deeply respected and was just very close to him. He was a brilliant scholar, a young, brilliant scholar of about 35, 38 years old. And his name was, perhaps still is, Steve. Steve had his Ph.D. in Old Testament literature, in the Old Testament, in archaeology and, and, um, and, and geography and history and the culture. He was just, just overflowing with insights, and, and I would follow him. The group would follow, but I'd just get as close as I could to him as we traversed the, the whole land for 10 days or so. We started in the north in the tribe of Dan, way, way up north, the headwaters of the Jordan River, um, plush, green, flowing water into the Jordan as it tra traveled down to the Dead Sea. And uh, I just couldn't get enough of Steve as he was sharing this, that, and talking about the Old Testament and talking about all these kinds of things. Well, we got to the Sea of Galilee, about where we're at in the exposition of Mark, um, and we were on the, the western side of the Sea of Galilee, kind of the northwestern side in a town called Capernaum. And we were a bit tired walking as we did, and, and we uh, found our, our place for a little snack. And at this snack, we, we settled into the, the, the ruins of a synagogue. And in this ruins of the synagogue, there were these, these big boulder-like foundational pieces. And uh, each one of us sat on one. And Steve got in the middle as we were resting from the journey. 
and he said, um, perhaps you will enjoy this story. And in his little uh, travel uh, coat inside, he pulled out this little pocket testament, and he sat before us, and he opened up to the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, he went to chapter 6, and he began to read this glorious narrative of Jesus in Capernaum at this synagogue overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And it was just too much for me to handle. This is an amazing moment in my life. He began to expound in a brilliant, rational, reasonable way through this passage. Exceptional exposition. And he got to John 6.35 and it was as though Jesus stretched out his arms and he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never thirst. He who believes in me will never be hungry. And he took his little pocket testament, closed it, and put it into his inner pocket. And he said, I hope you enjoyed that story. And I was just hanging on every word from the brilliant one, and he said, as we continue our journey through the land the next nine days, I just, I just want you to know that, that I, I, don't, I don't believe like you do. I, I don't believe that that story is revelation. I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Messiah who, who has come. It's a wonderful story, and I know that you believe that, and I hope that this meant something to you. I was about as quiet as you are right now. And I looked over at Carl, and I'm going, I, I didn't understand. I was only about three or four years old in the Lord. I did not have a category that I could put Steve in at how with such intellectual prowess he could read a text and get it right, get it perfect, and not believe. And Carl pulled me aside as we walked along, and he just said, Dan, you, you have to understand, biblical texts don't just say something, they do something. And currently, God has not been doing that in Steve's life. In a similar but not the same way, we're going to be going into 2 Samuel chapter 7 where King David and the prophet Nathan have heard the story that we've been hearing. Year in and year out, there's the line of the seed, the seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. And he is coming, and he's working his way through, and he has come to 1000 B.C. with King David there, and it's going to go through King David, and going to continue to go on through until it makes its destination. So, as we see in the story, it opens up with David and Nathan. It was a campaign that was victorious. Finally, the Philistines are defeated, and the Ark of God, the Ark is a piece of furniture that was in the temple, in the tabernacle at this time, and it represented God's particular, peculiar presence with God's people. Well, that was held captive by the enemies in the, in, with the Philistines, and David arrested it from the enemy and brought it back into Jerusalem 
the city, the capital, and put it into the tent where it belonged. And that night, David and Nathan, you could see him with their special drink, their choice, chosen drink, and sitting there and sipping and looking out over the campaign, totally victorious, rest on all sides, no enemies here in the land. David says, you know, Dave, uh, Nathan, something's bothering me. I just don't understand this. I mean, I live in this palace, this house of cedar. And, and look where God is. Look where Yahweh is who delivered us. He's in a tent. Huh. And David kind of took the implication and went, hmm, I see your point. Why don't you just go ahead and do what's in your heart? The Lord is with you. That's a good plan. And now we go into the Davidic covenant. Reason will not necessarily get to the bottom of what is in a story. Reason must be arrested by revelation to be brought into this story so we can see through written revelation what actually is happening in the Davidic covenant. So if you have your Bibles... Open to 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 and following. Please stand with me in reverence to God's holy word and in reverence to the author of this precious and magnificent book, the Bible. And listen intently as we listen to him say these words. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest, all his surrounding enemies the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. The violent men shall, the violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your seed or your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in, sat before the Lord, and said, Dearest Father, we come to you and just ask, oh, won't you illumine the eyes of our heart to see the invisible realities of this reality? Unclog our ears so we incline them to you so we can hear your actual voice in this passage. Instill within us the Holy Spirit necessary to keep in step with him and walk in the Spirit in a way that magnifies and glorifies you and grant peace and rest to our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, there you have it. That's, that's the Davidic covenant, as is noted in a lot of studies in systematic theology and biblical theology. This passage here, consider it as a massive pillar a load-bearing pillar in this magnificent house called the kingdom of God. This passage here is central to our understanding of the kingdom of God. It's central to our understanding of the gospel of God. This is pinnacle to our understanding of who Christ is in the gospel. And so, reams of paper and, and gallons of ink have been used and spilled to write on this and to lecture on this, and we've got now about 37 minutes to go over this massive piece of written revelation. So what I thought would be best for us is to consider it in two points. First, notice verse 4. It's critical to our thinking, particularly at the end of the message. It says, in the night, when you're reading the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, night is not just darkness out. It's dark. There's generally no revelation. There's no understanding. There's groping. It's dangerous. You don't have clarity. You can't walk with security. It's not a good time. In the night, the word of the Lord came. And so the title of this message, that's where I get it. I say the Davidic covenant comes. The Word of God is not static. The Word of God is not just a book, not just ink on a page. It doesn't just sit there. It's not just something to say. It's something that it's doing, and it's coming, and it's, and it's moving, and, and, and arresting those who are listening. So... 
That's the title. And then there's two points to the message. The Davidic covenant comes not merely as a particular doctrine giving us something to think about, but mainly as a powerful deliverer giving us, causing us to hope in Him. So point number one, here it comes and here's the particular doctrine to give us something to think about. The way we'll organize this thought pattern is it'll come in no less than four pieces to this puzzle, if you will. The first piece to the Davidic covenant, you can see in verses 1 through 3, right? We'll call this God's plan. Now, it's not man's plan. You saw David and Nathan, and they were devising a good plan. Just like all through the Old Testament, when it looks like there's a problem, man and woman will get together and formulate a plan. And, and God will, will confuse it. God will change it. God will say, that's plan B. I'm going to take plan A, and I'm not going to change. I'm going to move plan A because I am faithful, and I will hold that plan until the destination. And so here you have this theme in the Old Testament of a plan that is confounded by God, God's plan. Now in this plan, um, Pastor Garrison preached in, in um, Genesis chapter 3, and we saw in verse 15 that the seed of the woman is coming and it will crush the serpent. And so, all through the Old Testament, it's a wonderful study. You can actually trace the line of the seed. It's as though the, the divine author of the Old Testament is just sprinkling some breadcrumbs, and we are moving with that breadcrumbs all through the, the, the narrative and, 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 and the, the wars and the sins and the destruction, and we get to the seed. So in uh, Genesis chapter 4, we come to Eve having a son, and you can read about it, and, and, and you see in chapter 4 that she's really excited. You've given me a man. It, it means the seed of the woman. He's here, right? No. That's Cain, and you know what Cain did to the second born, Abel, he killed him. So Cain can't be the seed, and Abel's gone. Did God renege on his promise? Did he break it? Did he th was he thwarted? No. And so the plan in the Old Testament usually is the firstborn male, is, is kind of how things go with blessings. So the firstborn, it's not the firstborn, it's the thirdborn. Huh? Yeah. Chapter 4, Seth comes onto the picture. And that's the seed. But not quite there yet. And through him, Enosh comes. And then you'll read about it in the latter part of chapter 4 of, Exodus, of Genesis, that now people are starting to call upon the name of the Lord. There's a worship outbreak. It's glorious. Are we there no, not quite. And so you 
move your way on over to Abraham. And last week, Garrison did a great job of showing us the Abrahamic covenant. And now it's through Abraham we're going to find that seed. And so, where does it go? Well, Isaac and Ishmael. So, Ishmael is the firstborn. Certainly it's Ishmael. No, it's Isaac. (laughs) Okay, so we look at Isaac and then we get to Jacob and Esau. It's Esau, isn't it? He got the blessing. No, it's Jacob. And if you're reading your Bible, you're going, you've got to be kidding me. What, where is the seed going? How do you even know where the seed is at? And then Jacob is named Israel. And Israel has 12 sons. Certainly it's Reuben. He's the firstborn. And he's the most impressive one. One, two, three, four. Fourth one down, there's Judah. And in Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter will never leave Judah. He will rule. He will reign over my people. There's the seed, but wow. This is confounding the wise. It is highly reversal all through the Bible. It just doesn't quite make sense. But with Revelation intermingling the reasoning, reading this, you can see it. There it is. Now, if you think I'm going to continue to move through each particular person, we would be here for a couple hours. So I'm not going to do that. But you fast forward it, and you go into the conquest of Canaan. So you have now Joshua and Judges. And, 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 and how now is it going to move through all those tumultuous times, highly difficult, dark era? Well, there is a bridge a book bridge, we'll call it, called Ruth. And at the last part of Ruth, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can just listen. It's a genealogy. And it says, these are the the generations of Perez. So Perez is the son of Judah. So now you know you're on to something. And it's starting to move. We're looking for the seed. We're looking for the destination of the seed. And it went to Hezron, and Hezron to Ram, and Ram to Amidadab, and Amidadab to Neshon, and and to Salmon, and to Boaz. Well, that's that's part of the story here. And, And the Israelite went out to the Gentile Ruth and brought her in, and they married, and they had a little boy named, let's see, Obed. That's the seed. It's moving in the right direction. And then Obed had a son whose name was, let's see here, Jesse. You heard of Jesse? And Jesse fathered the last word in the book of Ruth, David. That's where we're at right now. We've gone through that line of the seed and now we're here. And so that's the first piece that we put down on the cardboard table here. To create this puzzle. Piece number two, from God's plan now to God's presence. And that's in verses five through seven. And in verses five through seven, you see a lot of grace, flowing grace. But he says, 
I don't want a house. I don't want a, a, a palace. I'm not aloof and far away from my people. Rather, they're pilgrims. I'm a pilgrim. They're nomadic. I'm a nomad, and I'm right with them. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. God's presence is peace number two. But sometimes I think we feel like God's presence means the absence of perplexity and pain and problems and all the things that just kind of get in the way of this fallen world. And, and so now we have the peace of God. We have the presence of God. And, but he says in this text, since the day that I brought you out of Egypt unto this day, so that's a very long time of about 500 years or so. And so he summarizes it in Numbers, or excuse me, Deuteronomy. And I just want you to look at God's presence in a way that hopefully will reach your heart. It says in chapter 8, he says, I want you to remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you'll keep the commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know and your fathers didn't know, that he might make you know that. Here's the purpose. God's presence, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, does not mean the absence of any problems, the absence of any pain, the absence of any confusion and perplexity. No, it actually means just the opposite. But he's always with, and he says, that you will know that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of my mouth. So when we fix our hope on temporal blessings, we're not doing a good thing. When we start leaning our ear into common graces, good health, good marriage, good home, good work, good kids, we are pinning our hopes on things that God has not promised us. Rather, we are to pin our hopes on the presence of the Lord. We are to trust Him, rely upon Him, readily rest in Him and move with Him through everything. Wilderness? He caused you to be hungry in order that you will recognize and realize that we live on His Word alone. Peace number two. We still don't quite have the picture of the Davidic covenant, but it's getting closer. Here's God's plan and now God's presence. But now, God's promise. I'm just kind of stating the obvious, aren't I? I mean, this is the Davidic covenant. Covenant means promise. It means vow. It means I swear on my name, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the promise and that's found in 8 through 11 and if you look at that again you'll start seeing this this promise it's just saturated with grace experienced or past grace and expected or future grace and he talks about David and he talks about what he has done for David and then he starts promising David certain things and then he shifts over to Israel and starts promising Israel 
excuse me, certain things. And so as we see, as we move through verses 8 through 11, we see first promise, an aspect of it as preeminent. I'll make your name great. Great as any of the people on earth. That's prominence. That's preeminence. That's supremacy. David, tribute will come to you. David, obedience will be given to you. David, people will follow you. There's part of the the Davidic covenant promise to him. And then you see place. So now we have the prince, the high lofty prince, the preeminent one. But now we need a place. And it says, I will give you land. And I will plant you in the land. And so the king, the prince, the one who is preeminent will be over this land with people planted. There's security. There's safety. Finally, we have the land. We're home. And it's promised to us. And we are protected and provided in the land. And then there's another angle to it. So you have the preeminent one, and now you have a a, a place But then notice a little bit further on in it. There's something else here that we're going to have to look at. And that is, I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord, I will make you a house. Now this is in Hebrew, it's a play on words, okay? So, David says, I want to build you a house. That means a, an edifice of cedar. It's a palace. And God says, I don't, I don't want that. that. That will be given to me. That will be built. That's a temple. But I'm not interested in that right now. I will build you a house. And the house here is referring to dynasty. It's referring to um, the, the lineage, the heritage, the seed coming through there. So now we have progeny, the prince over this place with progeny. He's going to fill it to its fullest. And in the midst of all this, you trail to it and you're going to find a person in the midst of all this multiplying progeny. Does that make sense? It's still a little fuzzy though. I mean, here's the third piece and it's, and it's his promise. But how's this going to happen? There's so much that happens day in and day out. And when you read the Bible from Genesis to Samuel, you think there's no way this is going to happen. And then you read from 1 Kings clear up into the New Testament, you say there's no way this is going to happen. Verses 12 through 16, the fourth and final piece is God's power. Snap that into your jigsaw puzzle. And it starts forming a picture of something or someone. So in verses 12 through 16, there is power. God's promise, His plan and presence will never ever be stopped. It is unstoppable. It is unconquerable. Nothing can stand in its way. 
Even if the eye says it's standing in the way, and even if the heart says it's hopeless, it's hopeless, His power says I will get it done. And so you look at Samuel, you go into Kings, you go into Solomon, you go into Jeroboam and all the kings, you see all the evil, you see all the idolatry and idolatry and it isn't going to happen, is it? And then you go into 400 years of the intertestinal period where they finally come back out of the Babylonian captivity and they're back in the land and there's kind of a temple of some sort, but he hasn't filled it, and, and now there's no word from the Lord, and it's just 400 years of silence. Did he break his promise? Will it ever come? His power will see to it that he will get his promise done. Notice there's three basic obstacles in the way. First, it talks about David, you're going to go to sleep and be with your fathers. That means you're dying and you're going to die soon. Death cannot stop his promise. And then you look at, well, now it's going to go into Solomon. But, but when he is sinning, his iniquity, and you go, good heavens, what's going to happen? Sin cannot thwart God's plan. And then you get down finally to this, 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 this progeny thing uh, and, and the movement of the seed into the, into the future. Time cannot exhaust God's promise. So you have death and sin and time and nothing will stand in the way of God's power with his promise through his plan to get to the seed, the destination of it. Well, there you have it. As best I can do in a couple minutes, four jigsaw puzzle pieces put together. There is the Davidic covenant. But please remember that just having something to think about is not going to necessarily overcome your concerns, your difficulties, your frustrations. Death. Have you ever been close to the deathbed? Sin. Have you ever struggled with sin? Time. Oh, time. It takes its time. And it just tick, tick. Tick, it's wearing me out. I'm exhausted. That's just a personal testimony if you want to hear it. And, and that's not going to stop, however, his promise. But how's that going to get into our heart? A text isn't just saying something, it's doing something. I didn't preach verse 4 and 17 and 18. I skipped them. So listen carefully. Now we have the pieces together and now it's on a table there and we can see something. That the Davidic covenant comes and it says something. And then verse 17 it says, and so Nathan, in accordance with all the words, that's where I got the imagery of the pieces, 
and accordance with the whole vision. That's where I got the jigsaw puzzle thought. Back in 1971, or possibly 72, when all of you were bustling around, I was in a living room, and I'm not quite for sure why this is struck, stuck with me and struck me so deeply. I saw my mom, and my mom loved to do jigsaw puzzle. And she had her thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle on her three-by-three red cardboard table. And she would just leave it out there, and occasionally she'd look at pieces, and how's this fit, and how's that relate to, and she doesn't quite know exactly, and she puts them together, and over and over, and maybe three weeks, maybe three months, she didn't care, she was very patient. But then this Saturday morning, I came into the dining room, and she was like this. I said, Mom, what's up? She says, oh, nothing, honey, I'm just looking at the jigsaw puzzle. I'm like, that's so strange. What are you doing? And she says, well, it's finished. It is finished. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's so attractive that you almost want to touch it or step into it. You don't want to disturb it. You just want to look at it. What? As a 10-year-old, but as a 60-year-old, I'm going... She gave me something. Nathan gave something to David. The pieces were put together, and now he has a vision. The vision of the good life. The vision of the kingdom of God. Enter in. Don't stand outside. Enter in. Move in. Look around. Allow it to arrest you. Who is in there? The second and final point to this message is... The Davidic kingdom comes not merely to give us a particular doctrine so that we can think about something, but rather it comes as a powerful deliverer causing us to put our hope in Him. Do you know where the seed, the line is going? Do you know how it got there through all the intrigue, through all the sin, through all the wars and through all the satanic trying to snuff it out before it gets there satan didn't win he lost his head got crushed listen to an advent story listen to christmas luke chapter 1 verses 30 do not be afraid mary you found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, and he'll be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Jesus was born. This is the plan of God. The presence of God is with us. And he kept Jesus safe for 30 years from 4 B.C. up to the crucifixion. They couldn't touch him because the plan wasn't done until he gave his life for rebels like you and me. And he went into the grave. Was his head crushed? No. Out from the grave he arose. 
triumphing over his foes. The Lord Jesus Christ did it. We are at the destination. The line of the seed has gotten to Jesus. And he was preserved and promoted to the cross. He was crucified on our behalf and was raised on our behalf. And now, there's the plan. Jesus' plan. There's the presence of God. Jesus Christ. There He is, the promise. All the promises of God are in Him. All fulfilled. And there's the power. The power, beloved, that we continue to walk by faith and not by sight. That the first coming has given us all of this. But the second coming has given us everything we possibly could imagine and more. Death will not stop His plan and purpose and promise in your life. Sin will not stop His presence and purpose and plan in your life. Time will not exhaust you. He will give you all you need to follow until the second coming of Christ where we get glorified bodies in the new heaven and new earth and all sin and sadness and sickness and Satan are removed and everyone is filled overflowing with joy forevermore. That is the Davidic covenant. That is the Christmas story. That is for you to muse over the glorious vision of the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for giving us written revelation. It's amazing to me how you didn't just use people to write your precious book flawlessly, but you guided and preserved that book down through the ages to where it got codified and canonized. And now we have a book and transmit it down through the ages. We have it in our laps and I hope it's in our hearts. And we can see the invisible realities of the reality, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us hope in the midst of unpromising circumstances grant us hope that we will persevere until the glorious day we see his face and all of God's people said amen